0: Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy, dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. Consider this, your diamond ring, bridal set, or other diamond jewelry can be a hidden financial asset that helps you with that fresh start. But selling jewelry can be a nightmare Worthy offers an easy, headache-free solution by partnering with you to help you sell your jewelry and get the best deal on your piece. Our quick and easy process means less work for you and more money when you sell, all done from the comfort of your home. Visit worthy.com to learn more. For this episode, we're talking about dealing with all the minutia that comes with divorce It's all the things you may not think about until you're living separately and you're managing a household solo, perhaps the first time in a long time, or perhaps for the very first time. On top of the divorce itself, it can be overwhelming, exhausting, and frightening. Everyone will tell you that it will all work out, that you will make it through this, and yet you'll wonder if that's really true. It's called the year of the first. And here to talk to us about how to make it through that with your sanity is my guest, Dawn Deus. Dawn is an author and has several books published in the series, The Shit No One Tells You About. Her latest book is about divorce, a guide to breaking up, falling apart, putting yourself back together. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And um, prepping for the show, I was thinking about my own experience, which was quite some time ago now. But one of the areas that hit me pretty hard and pretty quickly was being responsible for everything in the house. And um, I can laugh now, but light bulbs, why uh, is every single light bulb different? Smoke detectors, why do batteries always start fail at 2 a.m.? why does everything seem to break? Like, I remember the garbage disposal that starts to leak and is dripping in the basement. I remember, like, my kids one night calling me and said, are you on your way home, Aunt?" And my kids were 14 and 12 at the time. I said, yes, why? She said, and they said, well, there's water coming out of the lights in the kitchen. Oh, Jesus! Um,
1: <laughs> that's, never, that's never good.
0: <laughs> so it, it's like, I just like. Looking at your book and thinking about that, I had all these flashbacks back to those sort of experiences. Did you have something similar? What do you do?
1: Yeah, I think everybody does. I think every, in every relationship, there's a natural sort of delegation of tasks, right? That's it, just kind of happens. And yes. that's a good thing. And you do this, I do this, or whatever. And a lot of times you don't even realize all the stuff your partner's doing until. <laughs> they're not there anymore, and you're like, "Oh, crap, Like I have to do all this stuff. I have a chapter in the book called "The Learning Curve because it's like you have to learn all this stuff that just wasn't on your to-do list and it and it what it ends up being is like the minutiae of divorce is where you get caught up and where things start feeling really heavy because it's just so much stuff. like you have to deal with, you know lawyers and custody schedules and therapy and all this big stuff. And then this little stuff like your freaking fire alarm beeping and you're, and you can't figure out and I'm hearing impaired. And so my fire alarms or my smoke detectors, I don't even, yeah, it actually wasn't my smoke detector. It turns out it was a CO2 monitor, but I am going, I can't really hear where noises are coming from. Cause I just, I have these hearing aids and stuff. So I'm standing like beneath every single smoke detector in my house and it was during COVID. So like I couldn't just, it had people come over to like help me with this. And finally, I'm like, oh my gosh, Some like my buddy, I said, just please p- put on a mask and come over here. You have to help me find this beep. It's driving me insane. And I go up on a ladder to every single one. I changed the batteries on every single one. I think I went and bought new smoke detectors for every single smoke detector in my house. And then my buddy comes over and he's like, oh yeah, it was a COT monitor in the, in the uh, laundry room. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Like it, and you're just, you're, and you're just on your own for this stuff. And it's not, you know, insurmountable, but it just feels like one more freaking thing that you have to deal with. And yeah, I mean, you'll figure it out eventually, but it's during a time when you just feel like you're having to figure your entire life out again. And then this little crap pops up, like my sprinklers. I could not figure out my sprinklers. Things are just dying all over the place. And I have this like elaborate sprinkler app on my phone and I somehow deleted everything. And so I have these these little sensory little sections all over. So I'm standing like in the middle of my street in front of my house, trying pushing on and off to see which one which one lines up to which sprinkler and how do I set it? And I'm trying to listen for the drips, which one's drips, which one's a, not a drip. Oh my gosh. My neighbors are like, what, what, what's going on? And I'm like, don't talk to me right now. (laughs) I'm I'm like trying to outsmart my sprinkler system and it's just really not going well for me. So yeah, it's just that kind of stuff where you're just, it makes you feel really like Helpless and not super smart. And you're like, I can do this. And then sometimes I'd be like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm going to call someone to do this for me because I just don't want to deal with it. So,
0: so that's two really good strategies, I think, that you've just mentioned. What or two things to remember. The, the first one I hear often is, or I like to say to people is just because you, you don't know how to deal with it doesn't mean that you can't learn. Yeah. Simply means that you haven't had to do it before. And so it's like, be kind to yourself because then I look at all these other people that somehow managed to do all this and think, well, it can't be that difficult if millions of people can do it. (laughs) If they can do it, I can do it. I just
1: need to learn how. YouTube is your friend for sure. You can find pretty much anything on the internet. But then at the same time, I think that especially women, we should give ourselves some grace to not be expected to do every single thing like we we take on every single thing we want to be a superwoman and we and especially post-divorce like you want to prove to yourself and I don't know to the universe that you can do all the things it's oh, sometimes I like
0: I remember doing that like I am
1: independent and I got this and I don't need help I can figure it out and that's yeah Sometimes you just got to find a person that can do it better than you. <laughs> like pay them to do it. So they do it right. And it does like, there's a value in your time. I always say that like, yeah, I could probably do every single thing, but I feel like my time might be better spent not doing that thing that is going to like give me anxiety and heartburn. And so I had I one of my guy friends would help me do dude things around the house. And then he would also teach me Cause he was one of those like teacher to fish instead well, so of
0: that's a great friend to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was great. He'd come over. I remember I was trying to, what was I trying to do? I was trying to hang a light, a um, light fixture. And I think I, he's always like trying to teach me how to do it. Right. Cause you can do, he knows I can do it. So he teaches me. And then I think I sent him something with a picture and he lives like two blocks away. And like thirty seconds later, and you're knock 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 knock. And he's like, "You have turned off the electricity. You're gonna zap yourself." Like you-. he's like, "Stop! Just stop!" Because <laughs> he's trying to like walk me through it, and I didn't do it right. Like I can do this. He's like, "You're going to blow yourself up. That just just calm down. We have to do the right steps." But it was very cute because he wants me to learn, but then also doesn't want me to blow myself up in the process. So. It's nice to have friends like that.
0: Absolutely. So reaching out to friends is, is a great strategy. And I think sometimes, and I know, again, from firsthand, I I didn't want to do that. I felt, and I'd love to know your take on why we don't like to ask for help. I think sometimes it's because we feel embarrassed that we don't know how to do it, or you feel that it's going to create a, a debt to yeah. whoever comes to help you.
1: I think in general, we don't, I know I don't like to ask for help. And in divorce, I think it becomes important to ask for help, not just for things around the house, but just you're going to need help. Just being a human, you know, like in, and there's a vulnerability in it that maybe you don't want to acknowledge because you're a strong, powerful woman type of thing. But I think there's a lot of power in asking for help and being vulnerable and allowing someone to help you. I think where you have to, you have to have boundaries as far as how much you're requesting of somebody else because that you that it can really easily shift from I don't want any help to you're constantly requiring help from people who don't feel like they're in a position to say no because you're in a hard time. So I try to, like my guy that lives a couple blocks away, I try not to ask him for help unless, you know, I'm gonna blow myself up because I don't want to take advantage. There was something I was trying to do the other day and one of my friends is like, why don't you just ask him? And I was like, no, he's like the guy that I asked, but I'm not going to take advantage of that every single time because I'm not helpless. I can figure it out. So that's something. And, you know, I send him booze and food as payment. And sometimes I know that I like helping people. So you have to think of that too. Like if someone asks you for help, you would love to help someone if you have a skill set that they could use. For me, I think I, I enjoy doing that. So you have to think they probably enjoy it too. But yeah, there's a vulnerability that you should embrace because you're going to need it from all different parts of your life, you know? So asking for help actually builds connections. Yeah.
0: And that can be, you know, after divorce, um, you know, a lot of us lose friends in divorce for a variety of reasons. And then like reaching out to other people and maybe, you know, we've talked a lot about stuff around the house, but maybe it's like helping to pick your kids up from school. Carpooling. I mean, that is such a important group to get tied into. Somebody is for backups for pickups for your your kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Community is never a bad thing. And um pretending like you're okay when you're not okay is not really doing anybody any favors. It's okay to not be okay after you get divorced. That's just human. So, you know, lean into that. And ask for help from people. People wanna help.
0: Right. Right. It kind of brings out the, it's the good side of society and it's nice to see that.
1: Um, Yeah. I do think people at the roots of most people, there's kindness, you know, you don't always see it, but if you look for it and you ask for it, I think that it's there.
0: So um, I'm curious, like when you, came through in your divorce, what were some of the other, what were some of the other areas that you found yourself like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of stuff I never thought I'd have to deal with?
1: Well, my divorce came after uh, several years of my marriage sort of dying on the vine. And so I had, I think I, I realized now, I think I'm about two and a half years post-divorce, but I realize now that i i when i was in my marriage i sort of saw divorce as my finish line because i was just like as soon as i can leave as soon as we can be done with this as soon as then, everything will be fine and so you're you're exhausted by the time you get to that finish line so i got to the end of my marriage and i thought oh i'm home free now and then what happened was i wasn't <laughs> it was like the beginning of a thing it was the beginning oh. of a whole new thing that was so much harder than anything that I'd expected. And I'm not really sure if it was super hard or if I was so exhausted from what I had kind of made my my way through with my marriage. It was like finishing a marathon and then having to run three more marathons. Okay. So, so maybe that's about like expectations
0: too, because it's like if you're expecting to run a marathon, you can pace yourself for a marathon. I can't run a marathon. i <laughs> about a mile, but... Like <laughs> if you were running five miles and you pace yourself for five miles and yeah. you find it's 10 miles, it's like, well, I wasn't expecting this. So then I, I think you, that's another a really good point that you make in the people who are um, experiencing divorce. Maybe need to recognize that the finish line is not, doesn't finish when the legal process is finished. You, you're going to have this year's first afterwards that you have to get through. And it's yeah. a huge learning curve.
1: And, you know, because I'm the one that chose to end my relationship, I think there's this expectation that I just be like dancing in the streets. And there was a, a certain element of that at the very beginning. And then what kind of seeped in or the reality of the situation was, you know, I lost 50% of my time with my kids. And that was where the grief really hit me. And that was really, really hard. And then I had been pretty much numb for like the past few years of my relationship. And so coming back to life was not exactly an easy process. Right. Um, And it was an important process, but it was not easy and it wasn't very pretty because there was just sort of like all these emotions coming up and I had no idea what to do with them because I'd been so numb for so long. I didn't really handle them as well as I should have. But, you know, that's all hindsight. It's just going to be messy. You know, you cannot blow up an entire life, especially when there's kids involved, without there being a little bit of mess. And that's okay. You know, like, you got to go through it and you'll come out the other side so much better. But you can't try to avoid the mess. I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some people can. But I did not. I don't. I
0: honestly I don't think that that's possible because it is, as you say, it's a it's a monumental change for most people. It impacts practically every aspect of your life, so that there's no avoiding the mess. We're going to take a short break here, Dawn, and then we're going to be right back. Listeners, my guest today is Dawn Deus. Dawn is an author and has several books published in the series, The Shit No One Tells You About. Her latest book is about divorce, a guide to breaking up, falling apart, and putting yourself back together. You're listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. We'll be right back. So please stay tuned. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your ring from a symbol of the past to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything, from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, visit worthy.com. We're ready when you are. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about handling the minutiae from divorce. My guest today is also Dawn Dayes. Her latest book is The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce, A Guide to Breaking Up, Falling Apart, and Putting Yourself Back Together. Dawn, before we go back to my questions, you're an author. You've written a number of self-help books Did you think at the time you were experiencing your own divorce that you would write about it? Or was it after that first year that you could look back with all the hindsight and know that there was a book there?
1: My agent initially said I should write about it, but she told me to do that. She's my friend too. And so I was texting her during sort of like the explosion of things. And she was like, you should write this. (laughs) I was like... That is a horrible idea. <laughs> and I was like, "I am definitely not in like the lessons learned portion of this program yet. I am in it. And it just didn't sound very entertaining to me at that time, and especially because I just didn't feel like I had anything of value to write because I was still such a mess. And she was like, Well, that's why you should write it. <laughs> and I was like, eh. So I just kept telling her no. And then finally, I thought, I think I knew that writing it, would be really healing, really therapeutic for me, which is not the best reason to write a book that you're going to share with the world. But um, I just knew, I knew that I know enough about books to know that I, you write something and then it doesn't come out for a year, right? And then it sits on a shelf for another 10, 20 million years, right? Theoretically. One of my books, my first shit book I wrote about my daughter when she was, you know, her first year and she's 11 now. And they reissued that book last year, the year before, and I had to read it and like do some edits. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, it's such a time capsule. Cause I mean, it was my, I would think I was, she was 18 months old when I wrote it. I was pregnant with my second and I had morning sickness. And I was just like, it was very raw. And it connects with an audience because they're also in that raw place. And so I think there's some value from sort of writing from inside the building. But then you have to be careful because you want to make sure they're not, you know, publishing a temper tantrum when it comes to divorce, you know, like I, I knew that I had to get my head on straight in order. I wanted to write it, but I also knew I couldn't just write from where I was when I decided to write it. So I went like, started going to therapy and I was like, the first session I was like, okay, so, um, we got to get my head all cleared up because I have to write this book. And I don't want it to just be, you know, angry or mean or whatever. I need to be a little more healed. And it took me about a year to write on and off. And there was a lot of editing, a lot of cutting, 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 a lot of sending stuff to my editor and her saying, yeah, no, we can't use any of this, but it's great. I'm glad you got it out. You know, like, it's it. and thank God for her because, you know, I, she would read stuff and say, no, like, soften this or cut this or take more responsibility here, that kind of thing. So,
0: yeah. The I value of having an editor as opposed to self-publishing, I think, or, you know, maybe self-publishing, you do have editors, but I think some of the books that I see where people have written about it with the divorce, it is, it, it is more of an angry rant and <laughs> I think maybe less helpful to people.
1: Well a bit too personal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you self-publish, you should have an editor. But yeah, I, I think a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that I have written books before. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of I and I knew I knew enough to know that I was in a certain state of mind that I definitely was not gonna be in in a year when it was published. I just, you know that you're not gonna be the same person, especially when you're going through something like this. You're gonna be a complete and even now I read it and I'm like, oh. Cause it's, I'm just a completely different version of myself than when I wrote it, but I kind of think of it as like a cocoon period. I, I, I wasn't as angry and like, I just, I wasn't as raw as I had been at the beginning, but I definitely wasn't as you know free as I am now. Yeah. It was sort of that in between phase. And when I read it, I'm like, ah, it's a little, it's a little much, but I also think there's some value for the people who are in that same place. You know, I call it the meantime, because like you said, you have friends that'll be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's everything's fine. Like I had friends that were farther along on their little divorce journey and they were like, it's going to, you guys are going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And I knew that. I mean, it. I knew that logically, but I'm so impatient. So I was just like, okay, so what do I do in the meantime? And the meantime between everything blowing up and everything being settled be into being fine. And I mean fine's relative, right? Yeah. But basically you're in your new normal and it no longer feels raw and and weird and uncomfortable and just odd. It's just now it, this is just life. And um so I, I wanted to write a book for people in that space in the meantime. And there's really nothing you can do besides keep moving through that time, mm-hmm. you know, and get therapy and do things to keep yourself healthy, take on new hobbies. Like you know reach out to people try not to isolate yourself but it is just a time thing and that's the most frustrating thing about healing is so much of it is time and right. patience and you just don't have patience cuz you're just like I want I want it to be good tomorrow to yeah. yeah and you know people numb themselves in different ways and I think that that's one of the big things too don't just let yourself feel it that's okay too like let it hurt it's going to need to hurt so that's kind of what the book is for those people who are in that space of meantime, you know, just kind of not really knowing what's coming around the bend. But I promise you, it's something really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I agree with you totally. Um, there, there is another area that I want to talk, I want us to talk about. And in your book, you have a lovely phrase for it. It just really <laughs> resonated with me. And it's about filling the silences.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be one of my profanity laced. No, no, no. no. <laughs> and I just
0: I read that and I thought, and again, it just um, sent me back to those days of the meantime where I'm in this house and I'm on my own. My kids are with their dad, and it's like, now what should I do? And it's quiet. And there's
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it especially when you had kids, and my kids were a little younger. So, a house full of kids is loud. I mean, when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're whatever—like kids are just loud little things. And and when they're not there, they're, the absence of sound is deafening because you're just not used to it. You've spent a decade, decade and a half with just this noise, this constant noise and activity and life, and it almost feels like the life is gone from the home when the kids are gone. And I think that's the trick, right? Is bringing life back to yourself that's independent of those kids. And it feels really foreign and really not okay because they're your life, right? But- And you and you being used to
0: taking care yeah, of them 24 seven.
1: That's the gig. And when I left my marriage, it was COVID. It was like June of 2020. So not only- and I love and care for these kids, but it was like 24 hours a day, like literally 24 hours a day. We were all just hanging out because there was pandemic. And so it's kind of been ingrained in us to put those babies first and you kind of built your life around that. And then, then they're gone half the time. You're like, how, who am I without them? And it's so freaking quiet. And the the dichotomy a divorce with kids is that when they're gone, your heart absolutely shatters. But then the other side of that is when they're gone, you get to start rebuilding yourself in these beautiful ways that you've kind of lost, not only because of a bad marriage, but because you've been buried in kids for however long. So you get to like say, okay, I cannot, there's nothing I can do for them. So what can I do for me now? And then you become this great version of yourself, not only for you, but for your kids. Like I'm so much better for them 50% of the time than I ever was a hundred percent of the time. Cause I'm just happy and I'm whole, you know, and we can all feel it.
0: And um, that's really interesting that you would, you'd say that. And do you, you think your kids notice that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, they do. It's, it's night and day. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I stayed as long as I did because I didn't want to be away from them. And I wasn't doing them any favors by staying in an unhappy relationship just so I could be with them. Like, when I say it like that, you're just like, oh my gosh, it was so selfish to stay and have them living in a home that wasn't happy. They deserve better than that. So you have to come to that realization that in order for them to be in a happy home 100% of the time, I can't be with them 50% of the time. And that's heartbreaking, but it's the reality. And now they're in a home that is happy 100% of the time. My ex has a happy home. I have a happy home. And everybody is now living so much better. And we're modeling happiness for them. And I think that's a really important thing. That's
0: a really important life skill. to them. And what were some of the things that you did to fill the silences?
1: Oh, well, at the beginning, everything. Well, it was also COVID. So I couldn't Um, do a lot of like going out. You know, that made it kind of difficult you know, I did a lot of like sitting out around the campfire at my friend's house. <laughs> had, you know A lot of outside things or going to get a coffee outside with somebody. And I said yes to pretty much everything. I tried like a million different hobbies. I was hiking. I was doing tarot card reading. I was doing all sorts of different workout things. And then I found boxing because somebody told me to do boxing, which is so funny because like I am you're no one I'm not going to beat anyone <laughs> up ever, but it's just this home boxing thing. And so I got the punching bag and I got the, the boxing gloves and it was amazing. I was still doing it two years later. There's my therapist said there's something therapeutic and bilateral movement. She has therapy clients that go on bikes and do therapy while they're riding bikes. Cause there's something about bilateral movement that like kind of rewires your brain. And I was like, Okay, yeah, sure. I can see that. But I also just think I really like hitting the crap out of something. like there there was this I had a lot of rage, and I would just beat the crap out of this thing. and and there was this like Zen in this piece that came after, I think, just burning calories and stuff. But I also, when I first moved back into my house and it was quiet, I made a point not to busy myself because I needed to get used to this, my new reality. You know, get used to being quiet
0: alone.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I fill my life with great things, but my kids are not with me 50% of the time. And that crushed me so much as I was just dancing around it for a long time. And I'm like, I needed to sit here and like absorb it and get used to it and be okay with it and, and then keep moving. So I did a lot of that too, instead of trying to avoid it, just kind of leaning into it, talking to the cat a lot. (laughs) the poor cats and dogs like this woman has lost her mind (laughs) she knows we can't talk back right like she knows that (laughs) they still come in when i'm doing zoom calls they'll come in and just stand and look at me because they're like trying to give me someone to talk to so like she's just talking to herself now oh lord (laughs) go sit there (laughs) yeah so i don't know what do you recommend in that time Well, you know, I think about, um, well,
0: one, you do have to get used to being on your own and be conscious that you're not filling your time because you can't stand time on your own. But I I think sometimes you could, you could think about what were some of the activities that you loved to do before and that you stopped either, you know, when you got married or when you had kids. And those are activities that you loved and you enjoyed and maybe find ways to go back to those and see if you still have that same a lot of those activities.
1: I also really liked, I always felt like, cause I worked and I had kids and I had a partner and I just, we had a very big life. I never, I always felt like I just was, you know, you're juggling so many balls. I felt like I was dropping like 95% of them. I just always felt very overwhelmed. Like I, like I just was sucking at everything. So I also like to spend my time without my kids now to like get caught up, yeah. You know, I do the laundry, I do the grocery shopping. I like, I, I got my Christmas presents at the beginning of December and wrapped them. Like, my kids are like, what are these? I'm like, they're Christmas presents. <laughs> and it's not December 24th. Like, I would always be wrapping presents on December 24th because it's just like, that was my life. You know, it was just, it just had a lot going on. So that's kind of fun too to feel like. Yeah.
0: So you can get done all the other stuff so that when your children are there, you can be focused on them 100%.
1: Yeah. And just have sort of, for me, because I'm a control freak and I get, I'm calmed by order, just kind of getting things back in order was nice. It kind of brought a calm to the rest of my life. Even when that rest of the life was spinning from, you know, all the divorce stuff, I'm like, well, I can get my laundry done. I can do my shopping. The house is clean. (laughs) Like I cleaned the litter box. Like there's just a couple guys I talked to who were divorced said that they would do that because their wife used to do so much of the domestic stuff. That they were like, ah, so they would do all that stuff when the kids weren't there so that when they had the kids, they could be more focused on the kids. But I mean, you have 50% of your time free. That's pretty awesome when you think about it. If you try not to lean into the sadness of it, it's pretty awesome to be able to have 50% of your time to do whatever you want.
0: So Dawn, I, I love your perspective on that. You know, our, our time is up. I know that we would have more to talk about, but I'd encourage our listeners to, to check out your book. Listeners, our guest today is Dawn Dears. Her book is The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce, A Guide to Breaking Up, Falling Apart, and Putting Yourself Back Together. That would be a fabulous resource for you or a lovely, thoughtful gift for a girlfriend who's just shared that her marriage is ending. Thank you, Dawn, for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to help you get the best deal possible on your diamond jewelry. Visit Worthy.com to learn more and get started. If you have questions about an episode, compliments you'd like to share, or would like to be a guest, please email us at podcast at Follow the podcast at we are so worthy on Instagram or see our Facebook page, divorce and other things you can handle for information about the show. Please see our show notes at worthy.com forward slash podcast for resources and more information about today's episode and guest. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. You can learn more about me at mandywalker.com. Huge thank yous to Worthy's production team. Listen, follow, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Our next episode will be live in two weeks, so stay tuned.